Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I am Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C., and today my guest is Hal Sparks. And I'm so excited because he was supposed to be here yesterday, but there, you know, he was moving. And long story short, we just decided to postpone it for today, which was better because I had an opportunity to talk to him for such a long time. You might know him from Queer as Folk. You might know him from The Stephanie Miller Show. You would know him from the countless movies and television shows he's been in. So I'm sure most of the people here know who he is. He's really fun, and he I love his... I just love his energy. So first, we kind of talked about his life growing up, what, what his life was like. He lived in Kentucky. He lived in Chicago. We talked about his acting, his studying at the uh, Second City in Chicago, and then eventually we moved over into politics, talked about DeJoy and the mail and stupid Trump and all of that. So it's a really rounded conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. I know I did. I could talk to that guy forever. But before, it was a long show. So I'm just going to get into uh, the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast. And it's supported by you, the listener. And it's woman run. Me. I don't have corporate backers. I don't use advertisers. It's just me and you helping me. So patrons keep this show growing. If you enjoy today's show, take a look at my front page, check out some of my past guests, and then take a look at the tiers. Now, let me explain. I do two free shows per week. They're usually Monday and Wednesday. Obviously, this week was a bit of a, of a different thing because we had to postpone the show. But most shows are Monday and Wednesday. And then I do two patrons-only shows per month. So... You, if you sign up for four bucks to support the show, if you do four bucks or less, so one dollar to four dollars, you get one of those patrons only shows delivered to your email box, as well as the free shows that go straight to your email box so you don't have to find them. The other option is if you want to go five dollars a month or more, you get everything. You get both patrons only shows, all the free shows, all delivered to your mailbox. Now, also, I have tiers set up. I hate self-promotion. I hate trying to ask for money. So you can read the tiers and you can do whatever you want, but you can make, you can adjust whatever dollar amount. So like if you were like, hey, I really love to support Kimberly for 50 bucks a month. Well, I don't have a $50 tier, but you could create it. You could just change the dollar amount in any tier. So just FYI. Uh, that's one thing you could do by going to patreon.com slash start me up. All of that is there. You can also make a one-time donation. Just check out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email address. And then you just go to PayPal and use my email address. Uh, what else? What else? You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, here I go. Please, please stop by. Just whether it's the uh, Apple podcast or you get there by going with the iTunes app, however you get there, once you're there, please, please just be a subscriber because it's free. And then while you're there, too, you can give me a review. You can you can do a rating thing. I love reviews and I need reviews. You could just go. Great show. That's all you have to say. If you're a fan of the show and you enjoy yourself to say I really enjoyed the show, you don't have to go into a long review. But either way, I fully appreciate it. So we did a long show. I'm going to stop talking now and say, please enjoy my conversation with Hal Sparks. Welcome to the show, Hal Sparks. Thank you. I feel welcome. It's good. <laughs> it's, good to, it's nice to be welcomed in this crazy, crazy world. Well, I only know you as Hal Sparks, so that's what I want to call you. Because, you know, when, when you know yeah. you're famous to me, I, I, I used to enjoy watching you. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I got to admit, I didn't watch Queer as Folk, but I'm going to ask you about that. 
but I did right. watch I did watch your VH1 I love the whatever fill in the blank 70s 80s 90s sure and I, I was always a fan I always thought you were funny you always made me laugh and I just always refer to you as Hal Spark so that's what I have yeah, to call you that's, that's <laughs> it's good because that's my actual name so that, that helps um, a lot of people will ask me if that's a it's a if it's a made up you know show name mm -hmm. sometimes because it's so extraordinary yeah and um no it is not actually as you know sparks is my real last name it comes you know it's 300 years ago it was sparrowhawk long story <laughs> but um the, but my first name hal i was named after the computer in 2001 a space odyssey oh really wow um, that's awesome because yeah, my mom knew i was going to be smart before i was born <laughs> is the theory and she was right <laughs> as she often is Okay, so I want to talk to you about some political stuff, but before we get into that, I do yeah. want to talk to you about your your acting career, your entertainment career. Um, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing, and I, mm -hmm. I went to IMD, IMDb, and I did see that mm -hmm. Hal Sparks is your real name. Um, yeah. But beyond that, you studied at the Second City, Second City Comedy Troupe in Chicago, so I just, of yeah. course, I mean, just FYI, I used to be an actress, obviously I'm not famous, but um, I, I was on That's days. The <laughs> I was on Days of Our Lives for seven years. It was a small role, oh. but I still, you know, I, I know a little bit about the industry, and I, oh, I sure. also I studied. I didn't study comedy, but I did study the Meisner technique, which is um, mm -hmm. a lot of. Uh, well, I don't know. Irritate if your irritate your scene partner until they actually have some emotion. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with it. It's a uh, it's great. Yeah, it's, I, I studied uh, Uta Hagen's method in okay. high school. And and then the, the greatest lesson I learned from my acting uh, education in high school was that the worst thing I could do for my acting was continue my education <laughs> in acting. So I uh, afterwards, I just, you know, studied comedy and became a, you know, an, a, sort of a almost a comedy historian in mm -hmm. some ways, mm -hmm. for, because if you know your the best thing you could do for your art is know your art. Yes. Where is where it's been? You don't necessarily no one can teach you how to do it. You just have to absorb as yeah. much as possible. That's yeah. true. It's like yes. being a farmer. Just go out and get the goddamn <laughs> eggs, will you? So, okay, well, I will say Meisner is, you know, it, there's a lot of improvisation. So yes. I remember, you know, in fact, when I was 15, 14, no, 15 and 16 years old, I studied mm -hmm. with John Michael Higgins. He was uh, teaching classes oh, yeah. in, in Maryland, actually. And, God, he's funny. He is like, yes. he's one of the, and, he, and I remember... I was doing an improvisation and I was also like, I had such a ridiculous crush on him, you know, those kinds of mm -hmm. crushes that 15 year old girls get. So mm -hmm. I was like, a, like it was ridiculous how much I, I had a crush on him. <laughs> and so we had to do an, he, you know, he, he asked us to do an improvisation and I was so, I was so intimidated and I wanted to impress him. And I remember just like failing so miserably, but then I studied later as an adult, I studied it and uh, obviously I got more comfortable with it, but what was it like to be in that Second City troupe? I mean, I can only imagine it was wonderful. Well, they, this is, you know, when I studied there, I had the blessing of doing it before they renovated the theater. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, like, you know, some money poured in and whatever, and Sony put some money into the, the you know, into the actual theater, and they fixed up a lot of the old uh, aspects of the theater that had broken down over time. We didn't have that. We were just in the old Second City theater that had been there forever, and mm -hmm. it was amazing. Hmm. And um, mo I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Ed Asner went to Second City. Really? He was an alum of no, Second City. No, I didn't City. know that. And he used to clean the toilets oh, to pay shit. for his classes. Wow. So the 
the bathrooms we used were cleaned by Ed Asner. At That's some insane. Point, is, the, is the story. And, you know, this is the room, you know, we, I got to study in the room where, you know, all the Murray's who went into entertainment <laughs> studied where, um, you know, Belushi, mm -hmm. everybody came through before they went to, um, New York and formed the lemmings, which became Saturday night live. Mm -hmm. Um, they were all, that's that Jeez, main wow. group. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. it was incredible. So, um, I, I felt that like the history of it was the amazing part. I couldn't wait to do it. Yeah. So I went down to audition when I was 15 years old. Wow. When I, you know, I started doing stand up when I was 15 and I was like, I need to study at second city. This yeah. is the root of this place. I'm a huge fan of SNL, but all, uh, you know, classic SNL, mm -hmm. but also second city. And I'm a huge Martin short fan. Mm -hmm. And I love the freedom of the characters that came out of that place. Yeah. And, and in comparison, by the way, I, it is exactly why I loathe the groundlings huh. and why I can't stand them because effectively they just take really talented comic actors and teach them to sit down and make weird waiter sketches. <laughs> and whereas second city and especially second city, you know, Chicago and, and Toronto created these vibrant moving pieces through the Herald yeah. and through other, uh, you know, games that they would play. And that was integral, you know, get mm -hmm. it on your, on its feet, make the character make sense don't just, you know, if I have to see, you know, that was the problem with L.A. Improv. You know, mm -hmm. Get me down a diatribe about this, but L.A. Improv <laughs> is always, you know, odd waiter with odd ticks comes over and everyone goes, oh, that's weird. You know, and you're like, OK, fuck off. You just created an artificial, uh, awkward moment and and, made, you know, out of whole cloth. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Second City, like you could be you could have a character that was completely insane interacting with normal people. And the next character that came in made that character feel normal. And then the, and the, and then the fluid interaction yeah. by everybody made it seem like a real situation that happened even at its heightened hmm. energy, you know, and that's the beauty of it. So second city, it was just, I remember, you know, Francis and I, you know, uh, from Frangela, mm -hmm. um, you know, she, she and I were in the second city team troop together. Oh, wow. I and all these, so cool. all these years later, the fact that she works with Stephanie yes. Miller and I do, you know, I have too, is just the weirdest coincidence on the planet earth. Wow. And Francis was always super talented and super fun to work with. And she and I, and Matt Dwyer and a bunch of other people were there when I think the, the biggest person to come out of main stage while we were there was R Richard kind, probably oh, yeah. and Dave Pasquazi. That was their, window you know they it was like right before farley right after um the, the i guess the third big run of second of um and uh saturday night live of snl wow. so yeah it was it was an interesting window and it was it was just when people were starting to get the idea that oh you know not only is comedy a career it's not just a job or a part of it, it doesn't it's not just so you can transition to a sitcom mm -hmm. it it has its own worth mm -hmm. and, yes, and absolutely. it became an industry. Yeah. Dave Pasquazi is so goddamn funny. <laughs> Most people don't know who he is. He's the guy in, in Groundhog Day who was the shrink. Okay. You it's know, been a long I time since I've seen that. I have an alcoholic. Yeah, I have an alcoholic <laughs> now. That guy. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I'd like to see you again. How's tomorrow? That guy. <laughs> right. So that's, he was the voice of McDonald's forever and became oh, wow. like ridiculously yeah, rich yeah. because of the Chicago advertising thing. And it kept him kind of out of the worldwide renowned comedy 
thing. Well, um, let me ask you this. Did you know yeah. that in the uh, Sexy Liberal Network, there's another person that you worked with? Um, what, who? Bob Suska. Oh. You, well, I guess, he, do, he recently told me this because he knew you were on my show. But I think yeah. he, he used to do animation. He had an animated series on VH1. And I think that, and I'm not going to get this right, so you'll have to excuse me, but it was one of those, uh, it was like a parody of the, of the I Love the 70s. And you actually oh. played yourself. You did your own voice. Oh, so oh, so oh, did an, Kathy Griffin, I, I guess. I think so. But Kathy Griffin also did that. She's on my show, too. So I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's like well, a homecoming. Kathy, Kathy, <laughs> yeah, Kathy Griffin, Kathy Griffin and I almost knocked boots years ago in the 90s. Um, cause I used to run around with, um, uh, like there was like that whole uncabaret group, mm -hmm. which was like the cool kids alt comedy crowd. And, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I had a friend, um, who was a writer and she, she passed away, but she was, she created sex in the city. Mm. Um, you know, just, uh, and she, they were her buddies, like yeah. she, Margaret Cho and right. all them. And they, uh, like, I sang, um, karaoke with Margaret Cho <laughs> and Kathy Griffin. That's crazy. Um, we, at her birthday party, we sang, um, turn around bright eyes. All right. turn around every now and <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I sang that with Kathy Griffin and Margaret Cho before I was anybody before I like, nobody knew before you were house sparks and, and they gave, and they gave even less of a shit. Like they were the coolest <laughs> of the cool. It was so fucking obvious that what? these were the, the kids who viewed themselves as uncool in high school, yeah. whose revenge would be <laughs> to be the cool kids in high school after high school. And I always found that amusing. That's Okay, so let me ask you this. When you are, because you're obvious, you, you have a sharpness to you, and I'm not kissing your ass, I'm just making an ob observation. Oh, yeah. And I know you, uh, you are aware, you're confident, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're very sharp, you're very smart, you're very funny. So when you were a kid, I mean, were you already, like, were you growing up making people laugh? Did you have that, um, what, you know, what was your dream? Drive. When did you first feel like I want to entertain people for a living? We didn't. Well, I didn't have a uh, we didn't have a television set until I moved to Chicago to live with my dad. Mm -hmm. So when I grew up in Kentucky, I had kind of a like a 1940s Woody Allen lifestyle. I grew. We lived in this kind of shack, and I went to a uh, like an elementary school about a mile and a half away. You know, in the middle of the woods mm -hmm. and for real mm -hmm. and we didn't have a television well we had one but it didn't get any reception because we were out in the and this is pre-cable pre-satellite any of that shit <laughs> so i would listen to the public radio uh, public television station like radio just mm -hmm. be hash on the screen but i could hear the audio mm -hmm. so i would listen to like monty python and stuff like that oh, wow. as audio programs which <laughs> is a really weird way to absorb something yeah and i loved like I'm a, a huge Kiss fan. I bought my first Kiss record when I was five and it infused me quite frankly. And the fact that we didn't have a TV, my mom would, we didn't have daycare either. So my mom would just drop me off at the movie theater in town wow. and I would watch the same movie six times. Yeah. You know, I just watch it over and over from 8 AM till six when she was done with her nursing shift wow. and then she would pick me up and take me home. And so I would watch having watched the movie again and again, mm -hmm. I had a different perspective about mm -hmm. it as work or as structure than, you know, my friends did who just saw it maybe a dozen times because they wanted to see mm -hmm. it. So over weeks and weeks, they would go back and see movies mm -hmm. like we all did. Mm -hmm. So is that, so I, 
I didn't understand that acting was a job and I didn't understand that comedy was a job. Mm -hmm. I just knew that if I repeated the, you know, comedy records I listened to, to my friends, they laughed. Yeah. And we were all, we were all pretty miserable. So I was like, well, maybe I can help. Oh. <laughs> you know, like I'll help That's everybody cute. be slightly less miserable. Right. It was never any like tortured. My parents are alcoholics. So mm-hmm. I was torn all over the place. Like that whole storyline just, I think it only applies to like the fifties when being a comedian was like a curse. Yeah. Now, you know, and, and so seventies, eighties, people were starting to get a job doing funny things yeah. and you understood it as valuable. So I, I did eventually like I, I got kicked out of class for joking all the time. I was, you know, I definitely had a class clown aspect of what I was doing, but it was also mixed with the fact that I performed music for the school and did all kinds of other crazy shit. I was just, I was too big for the room. That was my goal. My goal was to be too big for the room and leave this place. And I used to lay in the field next to my house in Peaks Mill, Kentucky, literally and I would see every so often a plane would fly over. Rarely you'd see an airplane. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking repeatedly, I don't care where it's going. I just want to be on it. Interesting. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that make that's that's interesting. And it makes sense. So, OK, so then you event. I mean, your your IMDB mm-hmm. resume is very long. You, you've done a yes. lot of work. Obviously, it looks like uh, Queerest Folk was your biggest role. Am I correct there? Um. Well, it, it, only because it a lot of comedians are written off as far as their capability as dramatic actors. Mm -hmm. To me, it's integral to what you need to know about me as an artist and as a performer, no question. Mm -hmm. But, but at the same time, you know, each, all of my stuff has value. Like I put so much value on pulp Mm -hmm. in a way that I think other people write it off. The beauty of movies like, you know, Fletch and Burglar and Running Scared and all these 80s kind of cop movies that were silly and fun and summer blockbusters and those kind of things that are just there strictly for entertainment. I believe genuinely in my heart of hearts that they have so much more value Mm -hmm. than people give them credit for because you need that break, that relief. Life has too much real shit in Mm -hmm. it. Now, the, the only the only difference I would say is when you're showing people a part of the the depth of life that they don't normally experience. Mm-hmm. That's the only contrast I would say to that, which is if you don't understand that those people have a suffering that is almost equal to yours, if not greater. And if you can be taught to understand that you share certain elements of life suffering and that you also bond on how you heal and mm-hmm. love and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, then that art has value. Otherwise it's just griping for griping's sake. Right. And Queer's Folk had a nice mix of the drama and the comedy mm-hmm. aspect of it. In so far as, you know, realistic, those moments where you're crying so hard and then you suddenly burst out laughing yeah. because it's the absurdity hits you. <laughs> we had a lot of that. And, and there was a beauty to that show. It also created a character that was wholly personally beyond the sexuality aspect, different than I. Mm-hmm. And, and in many ways, for define me for a while for everyone who saw me yes i'm sure i'm sure did i mean and this is going to be uh i don't know if this is a obvious question but i mean playing a gay person did it did it help you i don't i don't want to imply that you had any kind of negative feelings in the first place but it did it help like round your opinion or, or or fill you in in a way 
that you just, you know, you, you didn't think in those terms before, but now you play this character and you're like, oh, there's this kind of an aspect to being gay. Did it, did it help shape mm-hmm. your idea or did, or, or uh, did it know, not? Frankly, you know, insofar as, you know, the, you know, the goodness or normalcy of gay people, no. Um, I, you know, right. ironically, it probably woke me up more to the negative aspects of some aspects of, uh, of like club culture around mm-hmm. gay people and other things that they kind of deal with that puts, you know, an, an outsized amount of weight on them emotionally mm-hmm. and in relationships mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, maybe club kids experience in the straight world, yeah. but is, you know, is kind of larger in the gay community in some cities anyways, you know, right. in the bigger communities. Huh. Um, and that's that's directly born from being shunned from the rest of society mm-hmm. for a good long while yeah. and having to having your only moments of connected pleasure being in, you know, in underground clubs and hidden in, you know, giant yeah. sweaty boxes, right, you know, yeah. with thumping music. So <laughs> I, it, it's completely understandable in that regard. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think you have to. And this isn't true of everybody who worked on the show, clearly. But I, you know, from my perspective, you had to be understanding of the necessity of it to even take the role because, right. you know, quite frankly, all, all my reps were, were like, you know, handing me the script while shaking their head. No. Interesting. Huh? They were, they were all like, this is a mistake. And, wow. and to, and, and to be completely frank, they weren't wrong. I just didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And the, why, you know what I mean? why they, weren't they, they wrong? Right. No, they're, their advice wasn't based on bigotry. Mm-hmm. It was based on, you know, do you, do you want a, a do you want to live in an apartment or a house? Mm. It was like that kind of a decision there. I mean, they, it's not that they didn't believe in it. They're just like, this is going to put you in an artistic cul-de-sac mm-hmm. for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were absolutely right mm-hmm. for everyone on the show, except me and Sharon glass. And that's mm. largely because I'm an asshole and <laughs> that's always going to be the thing that saves me is that I'm so enormously full of myself in a genuine sense that I don't fear, um, wow. you know, any, anybody else's limitations on me. I've been through yeah. so much shit in my life. A lot of it so awful mm-hmm. that once you come out the other side of it, everything else seems petty. Mm-hmm. And when, and when the struggle to get a, you know, Honest to God, when people talk about rejection in acting, it is one of the most irritating experiences I have in conversing about art in any way. Because so many people are like, I don't know if I could put up with the rejection, the rejection, the rejection. I'm like, what rejection? What are you talking about? My sense of worth is not based on whether or not anybody hires me for any particular job. Are you out of your mind? Who gives that kind of power to a stranger, are you nuts? And so for me, that, you know, I've always kind of shrugged that part off. And mm-hmm. in, in the warnings that were coming from my people, I was like, A, I believe in this and mm-hmm. I believe it needs to be done. And B, if that's the case, then my job now is to do what I want to do mm-hmm. while also fixing any of the, the holes in the sinking ship, if that's the issue. And so I, for example, I like when I got talk soup, everybody was calling me talk soup guy. When I got, of course, <laughs> yes. everybody was, everybody was saying Michael 
Uh-huh. And, and it, you know, and dude, where's my car? People yell Zoltan. So yeah. I made a choice and I told a publicist I had at the time that I will do any television show as long as they Chiron my name under my face. Huh. Interesting. I don't care what it is. It can be the stupidest thing. It's yeah. how I ended up doing I Love the 80s. <laughs> but it's that decision that made that possible because it never would have come up if I hadn't said that. And the reason I said that was I need to distinguish myself from my work mm-hmm. so that if somebody rejects me because they don't like my stand-up or my art or who I am or my f- fucking face for that matter, <laughs> that's fine. I yeah. can deal with that. But if they take something that I do good or bad work-wise and reflect that onto me, that's something I have no control over. Mm-hmm. I don't cut it, edit, write it. Yes. You know, There's so many things out of my control that if I put myself emotionally in a box around that, I'm screwed. Yes. So – so that's so that's basically uh, the queerest folk story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you yeah. say that um, P- that you don't necessarily fear the rejection, um, and mm-hmm. I and I get it. But sadly, you know, when I was pursuing an acting career, I did allow other people's because I'm six foot tall. I never had the. I mean, I was I was slender. <laughs> I was slender, but I was never right. like skinny, and I have big bones. And you know, like for instance, yeah. when I worked on Days of Our Lives, I was larger than most of the men and it's not that I was right. fat but I wasn't that skinny skinny woman and and yeah. it, it like tore me up and it, it created uh I mean it, it's a combination of things mm-hmm. I started when I was six years old I remember feeling bigger I remember the girls we were the girls my girlfriend's and I went to the bathroom in first grade mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everybody was talking about how much they weighed. So everybody weighed 50 pounds and I was like a head taller than everyone. And I weighed 60 pounds. And I remember feeling shame about that. And then, right. you know, and then it really started in eighth grade and I went on this diet and long story short, um, when I was an actress, it just, it carried over. And I felt like, I felt like, I wasn't good enough. But one of the things that I would always get pissed off at is when people would say there's so much competition because I just thought, yeah, sure there is. There's competition, but nobody can bring to a, a nobody can bring what I bring to a part. That yeah, doesn't mean I'm going to bring you to to it. Yeah, ever. I mean that doesn't mean I'm yeah. going to get the job. It just means yeah. that only I can bring this thing. And so, and I'm sure you know, so many yep. times in that town people are not necessarily hired based on their talent. There are so many other things that go along with it. So I just always wrote that whole thing. It's like, so what if it's, you know, competitive? So fucking what? And, you know, I I had, so I had, when I was a kid, because we were poor, uh, I was uh, severely undernourished Mm -hmm. for a good long while. And so I, it, I'm, my dad's six, two, and my mom's not particularly short, but I'm, you know, I'm five nine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's not short. In, in, no, no, no. But in a practical world, I would have been closer to six feet tall. Right. But right. that's directly it. related to the fact that we just didn't have enough food while I was growing. Yeah. And I grew late. I grew an, at like almost a foot in two years because uh, later on we had money and then food. So, right. um, Interesting. But wow. during this time, like I was in, in, uh, in sixth grade. I was three foot eight and I weighed 41 pounds Hmm. and, and I very, you know, I was way smaller Mm -hmm. than all my classmates. And, um, it was, it was an ongoing thing. It was just like, it was just, and I realized I was sort of stuck this way. Mm -hmm. Like there was nothing I could do. I could get as mad about it as I wanted to. Wasn't going to change a goddamn thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like gaining or losing weight even just like your height, you know, my height, the other direction, you can't, 
you can't change that mm -hmm. through attitude. You can trim <laughs> up, you can do all yeah. kinds of other stuff, but your bones are your bones, yes. you know? And, and I had a distinct, I looked very, um, I looked very Hispanic when I was in middle school, especially cause I, you know, my, I, I was much tanner than I normally am or whatever. And whatever, you know, the, the mix of native and Irish and, and sub-Saharan African <laughs> stuff that I later found out was in me because of 23andMe gave me more of an ethnic look than mm -hmm. my, you know, freckled, fat, redneck <laughs> friends. And, and um, I just looked different. I just did, you yeah. know, and I didn't look bad per se, mm -hmm. but I looked very different from the rest of these kids. And I remember distinctly, I was, fuck, I was 13. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, all right, I'm ugly. Oh. Okay. No, no, I'm very just, I mean, I'm, I was being honest with myself in that moment, and, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I clearly, I don't think I was, No. <laughs> but by comparison or what my experience was, I had that moment. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, you're ugly. This is, uh, you know, no girl is going to pick you out of this batch of, uh, you know, of, of the, there was a kid named Jason Day, who was like a foot taller than me, blonde hair, just mm -hmm. a pretty boy in mm -hmm. school. And that's who they were chasing. And I was like, all right, you're not that. Mm-hmm you're you what what do you got and so i that's when i shifted my whole way of thinking into what makes me an original mm -hmm. you know beyond my own capability and that's when i started you know i stopped quoting comedy records and started trying to be funny on my own mm -hmm. those kind of things and that was you know there's a very important shift point that, that is, i wish that i would have come i wish that i would have appreciated my uniqueness and what the, I had specifically to offer because I did allow I did allow that town and I mean I don't want to come off sounding like oh poor me I had a great time and you know I'm and I'm actually mm -hmm. glad that the only reason put it to you this way the only reason yeah. I would have liked to have been famous at this point right. in the game is so that I would have a bigger social media following now so that I could get more people to listen to my podcast because sure. outside of that, uh, you know, the, the reasons that I want, I mean, I wanted to act, that's for sure. And I, I think mm -hmm. I was pretty decent at it and I could have gotten better if I stayed with it. I mean, I did it for about a decade, uh, but, I, but I don't necessarily, now looking back, doing what mm -hmm. I'm doing right now really satisfies me, I think more so than anything I've ever I've been a salesperson. Right. I've done this. I've done so. I like doing this, and I don't necessarily think I. I can also look back and say I just didn't have the confidence in myself, in my physical self. I did in my ability, but not in my physical right. self to feel comfortable. And I think that it would have beaten me down. And I'm just glad that it didn't work out. Other than to say that, yeah, it would have been better for my social media following now, only so I that I can I, have yeah. more podcast yeah, listeners. I, compl <laughs> I completely understand that, especially in these days. You know, and I. I personally fall into the, you know, the belief that branding is a curse. It is better to have a legend than a brand. <laughs> yes, that's um, a good one. <laughs> and, and, and if you go back and ask any of my childhood friends or um, any of my teachers or whatever, the kind of stuff they tell you is, is the stuff of legend, not branding. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, he always had that thing yeah. or his catchphrase or whatever. Yeah. They'll tell you a really scary, funny story right. about me, you know, but – and, and I prefer that. I will say that one of the things that probably helped me was that my mom and my Aunt Susan have a, an incredible sense of humor. My Aunt Susan passed away, but she and my mom used to go to the movies 
together all the time because they loved comedies. Mm -hmm. And I would go with them and I would sit in the front row and they would sit in the middle and I would listen to them laugh. (laughs) And I was too young to understand why they were laughing. I just got it Mm -hmm. that whatever's happening is funny Mm -hmm. there because I respect both of them. They're both they've got, you know, it's not like they joke a lot, but they know what's funny. They would just piss themselves with laughter (laughs) in this thing. And it was just it was so nice to hear you know? Yeah. And so what I did was I just would try to, I would go, okay, that piece in that movie, I'll memorize that. And then I'll just do that for them at the house right. and see yeah. if I can get them to laugh. <laughs> Cause that'll make them feel good. And that's a nice thing, you know? Aww. And in doing that, all of the things that they laughed at were largely from, they were largely from people um, who were way older. You know, we're talking about like, um, you know, from Alan Arkin and, mm-hmm. you know, Burgess Meredith <laughs> and, you know, to, to like, you know, Dom DeLuise and, mm-hmm. and Mel, Mel Brooks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so for, as a kid, my target age for being funny has always honestly been 70, 80 years old. <laughs> so even as a young artist in sort of my physical prime, as it were, my goal career wise is based on old me. So I'm <laughs> very much from a career, honest to God, from a yeah. very, from a career standpoint, I'm looking forward to the golden age of my comedy being when I'm the funny old guy in the movie. Mm. I, I, I love the idea of being the Alan Arkin in the yeah. movie and to do that for me anyways, to do that, you have to be around working for fucking yeah. ever. Yeah. There are there are no new old guys who are funny in the movie. They just don't <laughs> Right, find exactly. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a skill set you have to build, build over time. Yeah. And if you don't have it by that age, you're not gonna just develop it. Yeah. It's it's too much. So what you you know, if you look at Alan Arkin and people like that and Burgess Meredith and Hume Cronin mm-hmm. and people who, you know, and Wilford Brimley for fuck's sake, <laughs> you know, th- as wonderful as they are you can find footage of yes. them on fucking episodes of the twilight zone yeah. from the fifties mm-hmm. as, as young leading men looking great, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and, and so that was always the reassuring future point for me was that, um, I'm not in this to get laid. I can do that on my own. <laughs> yeah. So what my art is for is for my art. Right. And I think a lot of people confuse getting laid Yes. Um, or getting better food to eat yes. with their art. Yeah. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but you, if you tie them together, you'll you'll screw yourself. Yeah, or being famous. And it's like, I remember I, I wanted to be an actress that had all the jobs of a famous person, but I didn't want to be famous because I just wanted to retain my autonomy and walk around. I didn't want to be recognized. And oh, so- fuck that. <laughs> No. Well, I see. I like that because it's like I get to be on a podcast and I get to talk to people like you. Right. But I can go to the right. grocery store and everybody leaves me alone. So I right. do like that because I'm 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 very much a loner and I I really I right. enjoy my privacy. I'm outgoing and everything, but I just like my privacy. Um, oh yes, my girlfriend's the same way. And but I like I like giant crowds. <laughs> I when I go see a rock band, I'm in the mosh pit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Front. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and and it boggles the mind even yeah. even now, which is one of those weird things when you're when you are known and you get an outsized amount of attention when mm-hmm. you go out in public um, to be seen in life 
is very peculiar for people. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, they don't even see you because it's in, you're mm -hmm. invisible because of what's called a scotoma, which is a, a, a psychological effect that doesn't allow you to see what you're seeing because you can't imagine seeing it. Hmm. It's why you can't find your keys when they're right yes. there in front of yeah, you on yeah, the desk. Yeah. Um, huh. So as a famous person, you can hide in plain sight as long as you don't trigger people's recognition, mm -hmm. which in the case, you know, uh, I think Jack Nicholson said, you can go anywhere you want when you're as famous as him. Mm -hmm. You just can't stop. Hmm. You can't wow. stand still. You, hmm. As long as you keep walking, yeah. nobody's brain will register fast enough. Like, shit, that was Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Like, because the brain won't let them. Like, yeah. that's absurd. What the fuck is Jack Nicholson doing in Fairfield, you know, in a, in yeah. a mall at three in the <laughs> afternoon, right? He's shopping is what he's doing, but nobody can see him. But the minute you stop and go, which way do I want to go? The whole world, like, it's like the fucking body snatchers. Everybody goes, <laughs> I know. You know well, I was, I was always like mindful about like, for instance, of course I love, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman. Oh and, like, yeah. So much like, to me, she is just like a second mom or something. And I remember I was in, I used to live in Los Angeles. Obviously I did days of our lives, but I don't live there now. I live in Maryland. But anyway, um, ah. I saw her at the, I don't know, one, of, I'm all, and she had a whole bunch of kids. She was on the escalator and she had all her kids with her. And I remember so desperately wanting to just tell her how much I loved her, but I thought I'm going to leave her alone because she's got her kids no, and she's just doing her never. thing. Don't do it. <laughs> Always. When you see someone famous like that, you don't have to bust out if you think they're in the middle of something. The best thing you can do in those moments, and I'm telling you from both experience and desire, okay. um, is look them, catch their eye, and smile at them and nod right. so that they know you see them and stuff. And that's as good as a 10-minute conversation about your favorite episode of The Bionic Woman. It really is. Yeah, well, I and did. I, Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, learned, I learned that lesson through heartbreak mm -hmm. because – I'm a huge Madeline Kahn fan. Mm -hmm. I think she's one of the yeah. most purely funny human beings who has ever lived on this planet. She was a magnificent singer, an incredible talent. Un like, it, unless you are a you know a huge Mel Brooks aficionado um, or whatever, you don't really truly appreciate just how glorious her timing mm -hmm. and her the quality of her acting was. And she was fantastic on all other fronts. Mm -hmm. I saw her in Los Angeles at Kate Manalini's eating by herself in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting at the table with somebody else and we were eating there and, and uh, there's fucking Madeline Kahn. <laughs> She's sitting right there. Holy shit. <laughs> and, and I was like, I need to go over and say something to her. And I chose not to, because I didn't want to bother her. Yeah. She died a year later. Oh, wow. And because, and because of the timing of it, it is entirely conceivable yeah. that she was eating alone at Kate Manalini's because she'd just been to the medical facility right. that was right across the street wow. from Kate Manalini's and found out that she might she's going to die. Mm -hmm. And had somebody walked up right. to her and gone, I think you're the most beautiful and talented and fantastic mm -hmm. and funny human being and you my aunt Susan died and you made her laugh so goddamn hard mm -hmm. and I can't tell you how much joy you brought to me and my family and my grandparents and my mom mm -hmm. and me and you're wonderful and let me buy you lunch. I have no money, but <laughs> <laughs> I will do it anyways. That I passing that moment up yeah. and regretting it ever since because she deserved better. Yeah. Um, that that's why I believe and I give full permission to anybody. And if this if the celebrity you run into is a complete 
prick yeah. about it, then they were never the celeb you thought they were. Exactly. And then you can check them off the list. So yeah. awesome. Well, I did, like, I, I, did, <laughs> I did go up to two. Uh, I, I've told the story recently too, but I was I was getting my hair done. I was in uh, Brentwood and I was getting my hair as cut. As you do, as you do. And what's his name? Mick Fleetwood was in the salon, oh. and he was obviously waiting for his spouse or whoever he was with. And he was just, you know, he's like so tall, and he was yeah. he was standing there alone, and my hair was like in a, wet and in a towel. And I I just walked up to him, and I said, "I love you, man." And then I went to my seat. So it's like I got I got it out there. That's he it. knew, and I left him alone. I didn't ask him. And it was so funny because he looked so perplexed. And then I did the same thing. When I was in Glendale, I was at a Whole Foods and I saw Quinn Cummings, who I adore. She was mm-hmm. in um, The Goodbye Girl and she played the mm-hmm. little girl, which I completely yeah. identified with her character because my mom was single. So much of the jealousy of the Richard Dreyfus. I mean, I experienced so I much of what like she did hanging on, on the, the rod. rod. <laughs> and um, so I told, you know, I, I, I was an adult and I, and I just said, look, I just want to quickly. I think she had a child with her, but I can't remember. But I said, I just want to tell you that I, I absolutely loved that role. It meant so much to me. Thank you, you know, for your performance. Yeah. It was fantastic. And she was genuinely so pleased and happy and yes. humble. So I do know that people would like to hear it, but I also feel like sometimes if like, I wasn't sure what to do because uh, Lindsay Wagner had like five kids with her and I thought, well, and you're right. It would have been good to just like acknowledge it's her. It's totally good. Every yeah. single time, don't do it. In this world, Never pass up an opportunity to compliment someone who mm-hmm. absolutely deserves it. Ever, ever, yeah, ever. Not a waiter, not and and not a you know hundred million record selling artist. Right. It never, not ever. Yeah, because it does. It does feel good. It yes, does, it, does, it feels it, good for you. They, no matter what they say or how humble yeah. they are, that you know. There's. Did you see um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes, I did. Okay, you know, um, I personally, I think this is some of Leo's best acting mm-hmm. ever. Me too. Yeah. It's one of the few times where I've seen him disappear into a role. It hardly ever happens. You can always hear his voice. Yeah, it's just part of it. It happens. I agree. <clears throat> but in his, in this case, the scene where the girl comes up and goes, "That's the best acting I've ever seen in my life," and mm-hmm. she's, she's seven or she's eight. Yes. <laughs> and he, and he goes, "Rick fucking Dalton," and he, <laughs> you know, and he's crying. Yeah. Because he knows he did great. Yeah. He, you know, he killed it. Everybody's happy. They moved on, which is, I mean, all, I mean, if you need an allegory for the whole thing. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> um, but he, he does that thing and she says that to him and he was killing himself mm-hmm. in the trailer and you're a drunk and nobody can, mm-hmm. you know, and it's horrible and you forget and, you, and his stutter and all mm-hmm. the other shit that he was dealing with. And she said that to him and that's all it took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, and so even just in life, you know what I mean? That's why, it's why. It's why when people ask me how I'm doing, I always say, you know, I'm spectacular, but I'll get better or something along those lines. <laughs> and the reason is, is because have some fucking perspective. Do you know how bad people have it? Yeah. And if you have it good at all, mm-hmm. shame on you for not owning it and letting people know that, you know what, once you do get your head above water, it can be okay. Mm-hmm. This fucking, th- these assholes on, on yachts thinking that the water is choppy today. <laughs> I, I like drives me fucking crazy when you've got somebody in in a fucking deflating inner tube yeah. trying to get across the same water right. uh, before the sharks eat their feet. Like I just I have zero tolerance for it. Wow. So my thing is always and forever in every circumstance where you can genuinely give someone a compliment, you have a moral responsibility to do so, even if they turn out to be a complete prick. 
Well, that's that is good advice. But now I want to mm-hmm. switch this over to politics because I want to ask sure. you. First of all, I mean, obviously you're on Stephanie Miller, and she mm-hmm. adores you. For <laughs> I can see why. Um, yeah. But how? <laughs> How long have you been political? Have you always been political? When did you start talking about politics publicly? Mm. I, I, when I started doing stand-up in Chicago, I, I did a, a bunch of gigs at a place called the Clout Club, which was a private cigar and scotch uh, political comedy club that Aaron Freeman, who's an old black comic in Chicago who used to do political stuff about you know aldermen and shit like that. Hmm. He's around forever. And Mort Saul would come through. It was that kind of a room. Mm-hmm. And I, before I could vote, I was doing Reagan jokes. <laughs> and wow. people were, you know, and these dudes who, I mean, they looked like the, they looked like caricatures of fat billionaires. Mm-hmm. Just these, you know, balding, cigar chomping fat dudes in giant suits, you know, pinstripe. Sh- I mean, they, pinky rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all, yeah, they all looked like, um, they all look like Rudy Giuliani with a <laughs> shellfish allergy. And um, they, you know, I would come out on stage and I'm, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old and I'm doing jokes. I can't even vote yet. And and they would all give me shit groan the first three minutes. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the time I was done, they were like, kids got a point. You know, so <laughs> I, you know, awesome. I, rec- I recognize that, you know, comedy for me um, has to be a conduit for some thought that. Mm-hmm. moves the ball down the road. Now, I separate the two. Mm-hmm. In my regular stand-up, I do not uh, I'm not political per se. Mm-hmm. I'm what I call socio-political because I think the root of the problem is not politi- is not politics. Politics is the rotten fruit on the tree, mm-hmm. but there's something wrong with the water supply. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know you you have to chop at the roots of the problem mm-hmm. if if you're trying to get rid of uh, you know it permanently and so a lot of times it's our attitudes towards each other or our beliefs about each yeah. other and so i differentiate the two i it's nice to have the outlet with sexy liberal show to be overtly political mm-hmm. in my stand up and then that gives me the freedom and the ability when i'm not doing you know that to speak on a, as a person to all people mm-hmm. in terms of comedy. Um, and you know, I, I was always amazed and I'm a huge Carlin fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I'm also a huge, um, Steve Martin fan. Yeah. And, and the value of both was always present to me. And, you know, Carlin would always do like, he, he, he literally followed up his bit about anti-abortion activists with, okay, fart jokes <laughs> and did, it does a three minute bit about fart jokes that he literally lays in right afterwards. It mm-hmm. sort of paces the audience's attention span mm-hmm. based on that. Whereas, you know, um, Steve Martin was, you know, a, a full on absurdist mm-hmm. egoist mm-hmm. in his stuff. And for me, fusing those two has been kind of like a lifelong mission hmm. to do that. You know, how do you get those things together? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and cohesively for an audience. And so that's, you know, the politics of it is its own thing because life is moved by politics. Mm-hmm. It's, if you're worried about words and conversation, like a lot of comics are, and we discuss words a lot in our act because we're, you know, words are how we yeah. deliver it in the first place. That if, if you're worried about those things, then, then a natural sidecar to that is politics. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because yeah. that's how it gets delivered. It's the delivery system. You can't, you know, who gives a shit about what's in the syringe if there's no needle? Yeah. 
Wow. So then even separate, even going further in a political, so this is not necessarily comedy time, but how, okay, first of all, you had tweeted, I think, I don't remember what you quote tweeted, but you're like, I told mm-hmm. you or something. And, and the quote is, mm-hmm. the USPS has paid about $286 million over the past seven years to XPO Logistics, the former right. employer, employer of Louis DeJoy. He still holds at least a $30 million stake in the company, $30 million, which has ramped up his business with the Postal Service. He took over. And then there's also a new corporate filing Monday has revealed that the chairman of the uh, U.S. Postal Service Board of Governors is also listed as a director of majority Le- Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's $130 million super PAC, uh, the Senate Leadership Fund. So my question to you is, I mean, we're talking yeah. about now what, what's happening with the Postal Service. Do you trust... Yeah. Do you trust mailing it in? Do you feel that uh, if you were to do it, would you be confident? How, do you have a yes. plan? What's going on? Yes, I would just. Yes, I just wouldn't do it the, on election day. Mm-hmm. I would do it. Ten, I would do it ten days minimum before election day. Right. If you mail in your vote ten days before, even at the slowest, it will arrive. To stop the mail is is such an enormous criminal offense that they dare not do it. Yeah. What they will do is slow shit down as much as possible so that in their minds, the decision will be made before the rest of the votes show up. And then when the rest of the votes show up, they can make it look suspect. Uh Like, Oh, now we find a bunch of votes Mm -hmm. now that it's been called for Trump. Like that's what they're hoping for. The numbers right now are so broadly separated like this. You know, we're outside the margin of error by five points in most national polls. Mm -hmm. Hillary was never outside the margin of error Mm -hmm. ever. She was always within four mm-hmm. and a half points of Trump, even yes. at the at her height. Yeah, and so the fl- that fluctuation, as much as they were like, yeah, she's going to win. That's based on an idea that if you were within that, you know, outside yeah. that, you know, that margin of error, it still favored you enough way that like this is normal. This mm-hmm. is going to happen. Now, um, nobody trusts that part, so mm-hmm. we're at double the margin of error outside that mm-hmm. with most things. They, they're just trying to make sure that the mail comes later mm-hmm. so that they can pretend he won beforehand. I don't think they'll have the opportunity to do that. My only advice is, is that if you, if you're going to vote by mail, do it 10 days before mm-hmm. so that you know, it arrives. So it will be counted on election day. Yeah. Cause that's what happens. All, all votes that are present are counted on election day, whether they're mailed in or whatever that matter. Right. So, what they're going to try to do is they're counting on people doing voting like they're doing their taxes. Mm-hmm. It's voting day, so mail right. in your yeah, ballot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mailing and it if on they can the slow it down right. from three to seven days, they think they've got a week to mm-hmm. throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Yeah, like the red and mirage, so, yeah. And, and they can't. I, I believe the numbers are going to be so high, and I think a ton of people are still going to vote in person. Yes. No matter what. I am. I yeah. plan— and yeah, and I'm going to, you know, like I get a mail-in ballot every time. I always vote absentee because a lot of times I'm on the road anyways. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. obviously this is different. Right. But but I, I'm i always registered to vote by mail because I'm, you know, I yeah. could be in another country for God knows uh, at any given time at any particular time. And I won't know until three or four weeks beforehand and not in enough time mm-hmm. to request a mail-in ballot. So that's my normal way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And in this... I don't wait till the day of to mail it though, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that's, they're expecting everybody to do that, especially new voters. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem they have. The mail-in voting on the democratic side, that's not going to be the problem. 
everybody on the Democratic side is going to be mailing their vote in Early. the day they fucking get it. Yes. The I mean, a month before, mm-hmm. two months before. And to interfere with the mail and to, you know, get to the elector's office and sit there. And if anybody comes in and sets fire to a pile of it or some mm-hmm. shit like that, it's such a massive criminal activity and so overt and obvious that, you know, to get away with it will be nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. What they can do is delay it for that window in as many places as possible. Mm-hmm. I just, I honestly don't think that the voter, I think the voter fraud thing is largely noise. So he has an excuse mm-hmm. when he loses to bitch about it forever and, <laughs> and buy OAN network. Yeah. So I'm taking it that you're confident Biden will win. Yeah. Good, because I I mean, I feel confident. The thing that I'm not confident in is a the cheating, gerrymandering, suppression, what they're doing all mixed together. Um, Mm -hmm. But I am confident in the people because I always like to point out that since Trump was elected, pretty much Democrats have won every election. And on top of it, it's like been women and people of color and gay people and LGBT. I mean, the whole community, trans people have won. And it's like we've had such a diverse group of people winning. And it just tells me that. You know, we're that energy is there. And if you look at 2018, the energy is there. And on top of it, the fucking Equal Rights Amendment ratified the last three states needed during his term. And although there were people working, I mean, I was an advocate. I started becoming an advocate for ERA in 2012. I was a little late to the game because, like so many others, I had assumed that it had already passed. And I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, I just didn't know. So as soon as I found out that it hadn't been ratified, it was like, this is my new mission. And so I, you Mm -hmm. know, I was an advocate. But, you know, I didn't know if we were going to get it passed ever. And interestingly, you know, I would, of course, I would have, if I I posted about it on any, um, social media page, I would get people telling me, especially like Republicans telling me that women are equal, blah, blah. But I would get a lot of liberal people who meant well, but they would say, oh, it's never going to happen. It's nice that you're doing it, but it's never going to happen. And so I like to remind the naysayers who are panicking, like, it's no, he's going to win anyway, meaning Trump. It's like, don't take that attitude because I always felt like, look, I don't know if I'm going to see ERA pass in my lifetime, but I'm going to do what I can. And I felt like, you know, I, I, Fortunately, and this is a bit of a brag for me, but I'm always going to feel very good about this. When I discovered it, I mean, obviously, again, I'm not famous. And so I didn't Mm -hmm. have this platform to talk about it. And I wanted desperately to find somebody who had that platform. And in 2018, I I got to meet through a DM on Twitter, Alyssa Milano. And I was actually talking to Renato Mariotti, who was running for, uh, I think it was Illinois Attorney General, and I, and I suggested to him in that group, you know, hey, you should check out the, the women and the men who are supporting ERA. And Alyssa saw it. I was hoping she would. And then she did the same thing I did. She was just like, I'm going to make this my mission. And then she did. So I feel yeah. like I was, you know, and, w- you know, it was a combination of her voice and everybody who had been working on this on the ground, talking to legislatures, legislators. And, you know, it's it, it's an effort that came from everybody. But right. I think that Alyssa really did help to kind of catapult it into the national conversation. And I was so grateful that that she could do that. I was like, because she is seriously dedicated. You know, I mean, that, that, that woman, yeah. she doesn't just say, hey, ERA wants. She really goes for it when she is, 
you know, passionate about something. So I was really happy to see that. And I feel like I see a lot of people on social media taking that negative. Oh, there's, you know, I mean, I get being terrified. I get it. I, I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared, but I feel like we've got the momentum behind us. We've got all these past elections to tell us, look, we've, we can do this. Not only that, we have time right now. We are yeah. not three seconds away from, you know, the, the, the last time you could vote. We've got time. So we need to just use that time. And again, yeah. I mean, I saw Lawrence O'Donnell posted something that he had sent a birthday card this year. It took more than two weeks uh, yeah. when it should have taken one day. So I would go so far as to say, you know, like you said, if it's a month before you can do it, do it. I, I've ordered my ballot. Yes. So and what I'm going to do, because in Maryland, um, the in-person voting starts on October 26th. So I'm going to drop it off. But what I'm also going to do is I'm going to see because I'm like a, I'm so fearful of covid. So I don't want to get mm -hmm. it like no one does, right. but um, I'm really careful. So we have drop boxes here. I'm going to go to the polling station, and if it's really crowded, I'm going to go to the drop box. But if it's not too crowded, I'll just wait. But I want to make mm -hmm. sure that it, you know, that it is there and that I did it. So that's what I always encourage. People should just like make have a plan. There's no reason to panic because, like you said, I do think that we could have a very good shot of that night knowing that yes, either it's so sure. close or at least that Biden won, and that that would be fucking amazing and i would hope so but then we've got so do you think that trump's fucking ridiculous advice to vote twice was mm -hmm. uh to gum up the results do you think that he, is that his plan? i think no i think it's dumber than that um i i think we attribute far too many machiavellian um twists and turns to his methodology uh -huh. largely because the the media behaves towards Donald Trump in some ways, especially the Maggie Habermans of the world, mm -hmm. in a way that speaks about how Trump is a, a master manipulator mm -hmm. of the media or that he's got – he understands something special. Instead of they are the delivery system for only one type of message mm -hmm. and he does they don't understand that he says 50 things. They only carry 20 of them across the finish line mm -hmm. and, and that – they've been doing that forever because that for everything from clickbait reasons to prurient interests, that's why, you know, it's the same way you keep the bachelor on the air for multiple hmm. seasons, mm -hmm. even though, you know, it's always, uh, it is, and will always be a farce. So the, the, the reality is, is that I think he's confronted right now. And the panic that's going on with them is that, is that statistic I pointed out a little bit ago, um, which is on my Twitter feed, which is that 88 percent of Democrats and Biden supporters are for mail-in voting, whether they're going to do it or not. Mm -hmm. Like they're a lot of people are planning to drop off their their ballot in person. Um, but they also there's going to be a ton of people voting live. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be um, a lot of mail-in. Mm -hmm. But 88 percent are for it. Mm -hmm. They're OK with it. And so if they're presented with a situation where, oh, shit, there's a lockdown. Um, they're still they're going to have already voted. They're fine. They're and they're going to go. You know what? Three weeks ahead of time, we're just going to mm -hmm. you know make sure I send my shit out. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And but on in contrast, something in the area of 17 percent of Trump voters are for mail-in vo uh, voting. Mm -hmm. Now that might just sound like a choice, you know, but they're actively those are the only ones who are for it. The rest of them are actively hostile to the idea. They think it's a scam. Yeah. They think it's 
they they think their vote will get thrown away and someone else's will be yeah. counted instead yeah. or that farmed votes from you know Mexican yeah. illegal immigrants are going to be gathered at old folks homes and there'll be 95 <laughs> Jose Gonzalez's voting <laughs> yes. on the same tit right it's that, that's that's how they're thinking yeah and so what's going to happen is if there's a problem if they hit a a wall in their state as far as the rise in covid cases or people quite frankly are moving because they can't get a job and all this other shit as the shit continues to hit the fan around the economy, these people are going to be more inclined to be last minute mail-in voters mm -hmm. if they end up doing it at all. Wow, yeah. That makes and, sense. And they will be, so that means their votes will be counted far later than everyone yeah. else's. And, and the people themselves will, in many ways, I think, just avoid it altogether. They, they, you'll have these big, you know, truck caravan people showing up and they'll want to vote in person because COVID's a hoax and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but there's a huge number of old Fox viewers and old Republican voters who might vote for Trump, but they've been told that their vote's going to get thrown out, burn up, and who gives a shit? And he's awful. And they're on the fence anyways. Mm -hmm. And they're not quite sure. And, you know, the back and <laughs> forth around Trump as a human being. And at this, you know, at the same time, they're gonna—they're not for voting at this point, anyways. Mm -hmm. And they could die. Yeah. You know, they could—they—you're—you're you're making them—you're making Trump voters choose between life and death. Democrats are not going to have that problem this fall. They just simply are not. I mean, everybody—the uh, Democratic Get Out the Vote campaign is based entirely on vote in the safest way possible. Mm -hmm. You should have the ability to vote. You should have access to the vote. If anybody tries to take it away from you, uh, that person is criminal. And you should, you know, you shouldn't have to choose between living and mm -hmm, voting. Mm -hmm. And on the Republican side, their idea is the whole choice between living and voting is bullshit anyways. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. It's not really real anyways. But I know your buddy just died. And I know his buddy just died. And I know two other people in, in your mom's old folks home died in the last week or whatever. But just go. Mm -hmm. And that's going to cost them yeah. on election day. Wow. That especially if lines are long. Democrats yes. in long lines wearing masks and rubber gloves, you know, you watch. There're going to be people driving yes. down there passing out masks and gloves. Uh-huh. That are going to be Democrats. The Republicans are not going to be doing no, that. They're, they're going to see a long line of people, you know, and if they're worried at all about catching something, they're just going to piss off. And in red states it's just going to get worse because mm -hmm. they keep ignoring it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's sad We've always had a certain level of like, you know, white mid blue collar voters voting against their self-interest because of being bullshitted by the Republican Party. But this time it's going to cost them their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that it, you know, and they won't be the first people in the world who've died of pride. Right. It's it's a common ailment. And and so the the reality is, is that the effects that Trump is hoping to have on the election are blowing back in his face and it's the, and it's his own voters that mm -hmm. he's worried about. So the whole thing about vote twice, you know, vote by mail, but then vote in person is based on this QAnon kind of conspiracy concept yeah. that they're throwing your vote out and, and putting nine Nancy Pelosi votes in, you know, and that, like I said, I don't think it's Machiavellian. He's yeah. not smart enough for that. They attribute that to him, yeah. but in a lot of ways, he's just confused and and talking out of both sides of his mouth because yeah. that's what he's done his whole fucking life.
Yes, he has. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. He's so awful. And then I'm reading right now the uh, the book by Stephanie Winston, Melanie uh, Melania and me. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I want to get that one. I, I haven't even finished Mary Trump's book, although I have my issues with that book as what, well. What but. are your issues? My issue is that it pathologizes his behavior in such a way that it forgives it in oh, some way. I see. Because that's the problem with psychologists all the time is that once you make something based on an illness, you take the morality out of uh -huh. it. And, and if he's just a broken man who never had a chance to yeah. find love, then all the shitty, fucked up, genocidal, awful yeah. things that he does in his life aren't really his fault. They're kind of Fred's fault. But are they really Fred's fault? Right. I mean, isn't Fred just the product of both of them? You know, at a yeah. certain point, it's about like just writing off everybody and turning prisons into hospitals because nobody's responsible. And like nobody buys that. That's complete bullshit. We're all adults. He's had plenty of time to back this truck out of that yeah. cul-de-sac and he just chose not to. Cause it was fun and he liked it and he got to hang out with Jeffrey Epstein mm -hmm. and, and, and barge in on 15 year old mm -hmm. girls while they're charging. Mm -hmm. Fuck that dude. So <laughs> I don't buy it. And, and I think, um, the, the, the book itself has a tendency to, you know, pathologize those things in a way that I think it lets him off the hook. Hmm. Interesting. Well, from, from what I'm experiencing, and I won't give too many things away, I mean, I will say uh, I, will not, I do not buy the explanation Melania gave Stephanie because Stephanie seems to buy it, but the, the explanation as to why she made that face on Inauguration Day, um, which I will actually, I will, I'll spill the beans now, so I'm just going to tell you that one thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. She was saying that it was because Barron kicked her. And so as soon as Trump turned away, she reacted to that kick. But if you look at her face... If you what? look at how she held her face, she almost looked like she was going to vomit. Yeah. That's not how you look when you're kicked. When you when you have uh, ouch, that's what you do. You go ouch. Yeah. So she looked and, like and she, you look at the person who did it. Yes, you would, and she just kind of went. Ooh. And yeah, and so I think that Stephanie, you know, a friend of mine on my Facebook page said, you know, I read that book, and I what I don't understand and what I try to, you know, try to understand is why when she saw who Melania was made excuses for her. And the only thing that I can think is because it's proximity. She was friends yeah. with a famous woman. I, I genuinely believe this woman did like Melania. You know, she, she talks about how Melania has a calming kind of energy and how she calms Trump and that she's got this magnetic smile and that, you know, she obviously she loves Baron and all this stuff. So, I mean, she was pushing up her favorable qualities, but she also well, that's was also what that's also the sales pitch you make when you've been suckered. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's it. And she was suckered. Yeah, it's the same thing when people go, you know, it's not that I'm a sucker for falling for a game of three-card Monty. It's that the guy on the subway was really good or I wouldn't have <laughs> lost rent. Well, and, and I think, I mean? yeah, and I think that Stephanie, obviously, she had um, organized, like, Met Galas and whatnot. So she was, you know, hobnobbing with the New York elite. Mm -hmm. And this was just, it was, whether she even told people or not, to be friends with Melania Trump before he became the president, it was a prestige factor. And and it's something that, as you know, even in Hollywood, right. it's like, who you know, you don't have to necessarily 
get a job from a producer to benefit from knowing that producer. But if you can drop that name or whatever it is, it's just going to help you in the overall sense of who you are. And I think she did that. But also, as a woman, I've had friends who have taken advantage because Melania is the kind of person that she always asked for shit. Oh, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? And when Stephanie would ask her to do things, she couldn't. She didn't have time. She was too busy, whatever, had excuses. And so I had friends a couple of times in my life, no longer my friends, but those women who did take advantage of my good nature. And it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, instead of speaking up and and, because they were minor little things, they seemed like, for instance, one thing is I want a trip to Hawaii and I took my friend. Mm. So she, uh, just the idea, since I won the trip, I was going to get the bedroom, right? Because the, the other bed right. was in the living room and it was a fold-out bed. Well, the bedroom smelled like mold. And mm-hmm. my girlfriend didn't say, hey, let's switch off or, do, do you, you know, do you want to share sleeping in the bed mm-hmm. out here? Nothing. I was just, you know, and I didn't argue with her. I'm the fucking one who brought her there and I didn't mm-hmm. say anything and she took advantage of that and she sure. knew she was doing it and I knew she was doing it. And so I think like with the Stephanie Winston Melania relationship, everybody knew what they were doing. But yeah. I think, you know, now in watching her on Rachel Maddow the other night, it appears to me that, you know, this book and, and her tapes are a form of protection because the Trumps are trying to screw her over and the DOJ. So she's like, oh, yeah. if you don't fucking back off of me, I'm going to keep spilling more tea. And so uh, right. <laughs> well, I would say I would say for the record that, you know, if, if we're looking at a den of pit vipers yeah. and trying to pick out the least poisonous one. Yeah. And the, and the reality is, is that, of course, she was intoxicated by the, the kind of bullshit android like personality quirks of of Melania and saw them as human <laughs> yeah. because that's who else she hangs out with. Yes. And that that's is it. a reflection just probably more than likely of how she is with other people mm-hmm. until such time as they outlive their usefulness. So mm-hmm. this whole crowd of, uh, you know, of elite, you know, scumbags from the New York real estate <laughs> arena. Um, I just find them wholly unimpressive as mm-hmm. people. And, and in, and in many ways, I guess I apply the same thing to the Mary Trump book in some ways, which is just like, no, I'm not going to forgive mm-hmm. what's going on here from you being, you know, locked in. Cause I've been, you know, I've taken, I took a friend of mine to Hawaii on a trip as well one time. And, <laughs> um, I, and I, I, you know, I've taken like two of my friends, the first time they ever left the country was cause I took them with mm-hmm. me on a trip, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, the minute, those type of favors dried up. So did their phone calls. Yeah. And in Chinese, in Chinese, um, they call those uh, Joro Pungyo, hmm. Joro Pungyo, which means uh, liquor and meat friends. When they're always around when there's liquor and mm-hmm, meat, mm-hmm. but if there's, but the minute the liquor and meat is gone, they're gone. And you know that that's a you know it's a commonality. Well, that's an entire class of those people. Mm-hmm. And Trump himself. If you're married to Donald Trump, you you sign off on that mentality mm-hmm. daily, moment to moment, mm-hmm. every second, because you know it's a compromise. Yeah. You know he doesn't really give a shit. No, he doesn't. You know, no. So I again, like I'm glad this woman's waking up to the reality of it, but I don't. I'm never gonna go. Well, I can understand how she would get. You know, feel like she was in this situation, and it, I. You know. 
that part's because I guess I've always been in my life. I'm like, I know when I've been suckered mm-hmm. and it's my goddamn fault. Yeah. It's not, it's not because of what they said. It's because what I wanted. Well, and, and yeah, what want, you wanted to believe yeah. too. Yeah. And I think, yeah. okay. So I want to just say that I, I always questioned and I'm not going to say I fully believed it, but I, I, you know, it's interesting because in the first part of yeah. this book, she said, you know, people threw their own emotion onto Melania. Maybe she was a victim. Maybe she was a hostage. Maybe she was a nasty person, whatever, uh, a villain. I mean, not a victim. And yeah. I always wondered about her because, you know, the Epstein and the sex trafficking and, you know, the idea that mm-hmm. there's questions about. I know Quinn Cummings actually did a whole thread on the fact that there are no Z cards for Melania. What's up with that? Because when you're a model, you have like right. Z cards every five seconds every time you get a new shoot. And so a Z card is right. basically a, a, a smaller postcard five by. I don't yeah, know. It's like I a headshot on one side and three shots yes. on the other. And you send these out with your, your latest stuff so they know what to hire you for next. Yeah. And so she yep. doesn't have any on record. And there were all these things that, you know, and I saw that that face she made at the inauguration. And I wondered, could she have been purchased? And and obviously he's a mobster. Right. And I've had experiences with mobsters in my own life enough to know that mm-hmm. once you get involved, you're in, you're mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And so I questioned like I thought, is she, you know, and the thing is, people would say, no, 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 because she's a birther. And. So it's like, okay, right. well, he could have forced her to say that. You know, how, how often mm-hmm. was she on these shows being political? Almost never. But then she was all of a sudden talking about Obama not being a citizen. Maybe she, you know, maybe Trump was holding shit over her head, maybe Barron, whatever. Reading this book, though, and I'm not yeah. saying I believed it. It was always a question, and it, there was a part of me that worried because I thought, well, you, okay. You're, you're going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt yeah. in those kind of situations, and that's reflective of your what it would take for you to do the things that she's doing. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, because you would and have I'm to a, be a prisoner with basically a gun to you and yeah. your kid's head to be that awful. Right. So and, and, that yes. must be part of it. And I wondered, like, okay, so she gets so much shit, there's all the slut shaming and all of that. Like, what if this was the most, like, patriarchal reaction to a woman who was misogynistic reaction to a woman who actually was, you know, not this t- terrible person, but, but, and I wondered that. And I, and I was, affra- mm-hmm. I, I didn't know, but I was afraid to go after her just because I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of it if that's the case. On the and wrong anyway. side of it. it yeah. And, and way. she's not the person mm-hmm. I have the, ma- the major problem with. It's Trump. So, yeah. you know, now reading this book, though, everything that I'm reading, a friend, especially as smart as, Ste- as Stephanie Winston, would have picked up. On these little, you know, there would be little clues. You would question, why is she doing this? No, Melania is definitely not a hostage. (laughs) She is definitely what everybody thought she was. You know, she, Mm -hmm. she had her plan about what she wanted for her life. She knows who Trump is. She knew who he was when she married him and she had her own thing. So, but that's what, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to read this book more than the dirt on what she said about, you know, the inauguration. I just wanted to get that feeling from somebody who had kind of a close intimate relationship and you know her big come to moment is basically because she's being screwed now so it's like i don't know if she would have ever seen it i don't know if she ever would have recognized uh who they were if she didn't get the sour end of the deal and you know this book might also answer the questions because rachel maddahat are on specifically because of that like somewhat like 40 million dollars missing from the uh presidential inaugural has been yeah there was already way more money raised beyond the 40 million Mm -hmm. missing 
It's like something in the order of like 120 yeah. million raised together. And the whole production costs about 16 bucks and three coupons. <laughs> yeah. Like it, like for Christ's sake, the, like the biggest expense was folding chairs and, and juggling, you know, torches. And, and, like, yeah. And then it's, also, it's fun. It's fun to read a little bit. Like it's nice to know that all the A-listers who even said yes in the first place backed out. And of course the pettiness of Melania and Ivanka because it, it and I, I skimmed a lot of the beginning because most of which, you know, I think I'm on like page 150. So she mm-hmm. talks a lot about, you know, 87 days before the inauguration, 34 days before the inauguration. And a lot of it is inauguration details. So I kind of like skimmed yeah. over that. But there was one point that she talks about the fact that long story short, Rick Gates was really serving the kids, right? Ivanka, Eric and Don Jr. Yeah. And, I guess he was Ivanka's little spy and Stephanie became Melania's spy to let her know what's happening with all the, you know, event organizing and whatnot. So it came out that, you know, he was her spy and she had said, she had questioned in the book if Rick Gates allegedly wrote wrote Melania's convention speech and had to answer to Melania for everything, was this an on-purpose sabotage by Ivanka. So I thought that was oh, kind of interesting, like, mmm. <laughs> that Ivanka, that Ivanka uh, cribbed all of Michelle yeah. Obama's speech and gave it to her just to, like, subvert her as first lady. Yeah, like, the, um, I think she I think she had chose, I think she, see, again, I skimmed it, so I'm not going to be great with the details, but I, I, I seem to be under the impression it was kind of like, well, let's do something like, like, uh, Michelle Obama's or something like that. Let's make some of yeah. those points or something like that. But it turned out to be almost word for word. And could that be Ivanka? Maybe because they don't like each other. <laughs> so, right. And I know that. Oh, yeah, no. yeah, I know that like Melania refers to her as princess. And then we all saw I think it was Dana Goldberg who got that first shot or, or who had posted it probably from her television on the night where Melania spoke. But I, Ivanka walked by yeah. her and she made that face. Oh yeah, yeah. The weird like, like, like it. It looked like one of those moments where she walked by and was smiling at her, and Ivanka went bitch, and she went what? What? <laughs> like that? That? I mean, it looked like one of those moments. And again, we. This is why we fought a revolutionary war. Like I don't give a shit about royals and their behavior. Yeah. And it's it's kind of my issue that I have with like page six. Mm-hmm. or TMZ or any of those, you know, those things. My my issue has always been that, like, TMZ and Page Six absolutely knew about Harvey Weinstein. Yes. They yeah. absolutely knew about Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. They absolutely knew about every major sexual predator, Matt Lauer, whomever, mm-hmm. what was going on. There is no fucking way they didn't know. Yeah. And what did they spend their time doing? Chasing people up trees for it being in a failing marriage while dating somebody else, mm-hmm. because that's what you do when you're in a failing marriage, that every other human being, the normal behaviors of every other person going, see celebrities are failures in their relationships, <laughs> just like you. <laughs> Meanwhile, covering yes. for, for the rapists, for rapists. Yeah. like fuck that. Yeah. And so in, in all this, it, it kind of falls in the same zone with both, you know, with Melania and what she's okay with. Mm-hmm. There are tons of women in this world who were trafficked Mm -hmm. and managed to escape Mm -hmm. and now with a blue collar existence, spend their time 
trying to help mm -hmm. other women in their circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is the, I guess, the um, 101 Dalmatians <laughs> style, um, you know, lady who it's all about her no matter what. Mm -hmm. If they have always been, yeah. you know, and and there's a complete I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of history. I love looking back at, um, you know, at the, the comings and goings of royalty over the centuries and, and, you know, the, the idea that, you know, as a, as a Freemason, quite frankly, um, the, the idea that people bound about the phrase new world order, and that's become a, a bad word, mm -hmm. a bad phrase in the most recent time, um, is particularly ironic considering that what the old world order was, was theocracy and mm -hmm. monarchy. Yeah. I mean, that was the old world order. The yeah. old world order was church run states fighting with inbred psychopath run yes. states. <laughs> and, and the new world order was democracies mm -hmm. and democracies getting together was the worst thing that could happen to theocracies, monarchies. And in the case of Vladimir Putin, oligarchies and kleptocracies. And so, Ever since that's been the big push around, you know, when the rise of the Soviet Union and the like, the phrase New World Order has been made to be evil and yeah. the pushback against it has been everywhere. And that even the QAnon people, like which is now this kind of subgroup, they are basically the base of the Republican Party mm -hmm. right now. The, yeah. We thought the Tea Party was bad. Remember that shit? Yes. Like the Tea Party, <laughs> the Tea Party looks downright fucking quaint. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's. You dig, you know, all the, all the, uh, all these, uh, you know, tricorn hat people dressed as the founding fathers going, keep your government hands mm -hmm. off my Medicare. Medicare yeah. Um, you know, are, uh, honestly, they're adorable compared to <laughs> if you dig anywhere in QAnon, it's all, um, you know, the Jews are behind this. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and this, and so with that being the veneer now, if we're talking about like Newt Gingrich and his wife and whatever, and just kind of standardized awful, that's, you know, from 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But the current state of affairs are such that Melania Trump is not married to a, a, a an actual gangster. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not married to a Scarface or a, yeah. a, a John Gotti type person that if she tries to leave her car will blow up. Right. She's, she's married to a fake real estate uh -huh. developer yeah. who's who who owes more money <laughs> he owes so much money that she could literally disappear with the blessing of the people who would rather kill him <laughs> yes <laughs> honestly you know um and and on top of it, she's married to this dude who was a game show host. And as a former game show host myself, um, I, you know, it, it pains me to say this, but yeah. but the, the Apprentice was not a reality show. Mm -hmm. It was a game show. There yeah. was a winner. So therefore, it was just a long, fucking, boring, embarrassing mm -hmm. game of, of – it's a shame game. He was the host of a shame game, yeah. which is how long can you stand to listen to this asshole, which is what The Apprentice was. How long can you stand to take orders from this dickhead? Yeah. And, and, and you're ultimately whatever happens is you're trying not to be the one fired by someone who is mentally and intellectually and spiritually, morally, and financially your inferior. Um, and that, I mean, that was the whole arc of it. She's married to that dude. Yeah. She's married to a national embarrassment. She's not married to a, a Saudi prince who will, who will just push right. her off a boat. 
<laughs> and and I don't doubt that there's real danger out in the world in the corners that he operates in. Yeah. But he ain't one of those guys. No. He's not a made man. They don't give a shit. If he fell off of a, <laughs> if he walked off a stage, fell and cracked his head, no, nobody in the underworld would shrug. Mm-hmm. They just go look for the next mark. Yes. And they certainly wouldn't go out of their way to to expose themselves by doing him any harm or her or whatever, especially if she just took her money and fucked off. Yeah. So to me, that's what makes her different than somebody in that situation. Yeah, that does that does make sense. And you're you know, you're I, absolutely right that I thought that the way that I was thinking You'd have to do that. Yeah. The only way I could get me. you to be as awful as her yeah. is if I put a gun to your head and even then you'd go shoot me. I'm not gonna <laughs> no, do that. Right. You, people are dying, yeah. fuck you. Shoot yeah. me. Yeah. Like you would. Any moral person would. That's the problem. So I, I have very, you know, I I know what my dark side is capable of. I mm-hmm. play a game all the time <laughs> called uh, if I was evil <laughs> and it's, and it's how I, pers- I use perspective to try and figure out what the other side is doing. Wow. That's a good, that's interesting. That's a good, game. if I was, if I, yeah, if I was completely fucking evil, would mm-hmm. I do this? Right. Or because if I was, then I go, okay, and now I see what they're going to benefit, how yeah. it's going to pay off, what part's going to work. If I'm not, um, if 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 I'm gonna fuck myself and I'm truly evil, then then this is a mistake or they're just being dumb. Yeah. And it's how I can differentiate between the two hmm. a lot of the time. And in the case of Trump, a lot of it doesn't pour out as as you know him being successfully evil. Mm-hmm. He's just being self-involved and trying to you know cover his ass yeah. and escape. He's being a coward most of the time. Yeah. The people you know Putin though. Yes. That's straight up fucking evil. That's straight That's, up evil. That is everything he does has an evil yes. result and a very strategic mm-hmm. evil result. Trump is is simply the hammer in this situation, mm-hmm. which is good for nothing else. Mm-hmm. It is it is it's you know it is completely useless for driving actual nails. It's a meat tenderizer. It's I mean effectively in a in a regular toolbox. It is useless for anything except chaos and destruction, and yeah. you know. And that's what and he is. The, yeah. yeah, that's what he does. That's all he's about. And so I always look at it when I, whenever a story comes out and shit goes down, especially when people on social media are blowing up about it. And I go, okay, if I was completely evil, would this have gotten away from me, mm-hmm. or is this just a misread by people or projection by people or whatever? And so I, you know, and that's how I spotted the XPO logistics thing weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's why I t- why I put that tweet out. Like, what did I fucking say? Mm-hmm. What did I say? And it was one of the biggest tweets I had sent out um, a while back. It got it got legs on its own just yeah. a, about a month, you know, about three weeks ago. Because I was, I was like, how do you not see this? Mm-hmm. This dude makes money. Only if the post office is overwhelmed, mm-hmm. that's his, his entire financial, he doesn't give a shit about Trump and winning the election or mm-hmm. any of this. He's looking at a billion Christmas cards. Yeah. And if he can cut the production of the post office by Christmas, by a third, all of that goes to his company mm-hmm. and, and that outsourcing because it will be last minute and not, yeah. uh, not not prepped for, will triple his investment in that company. And then what he does 
is you let's say the public discovers it. You know, we're already discovering it mm-hmm. now, but he's he has not divested. He's right. still got his thirty million dollars. Yeah. He holds on, fights this to do the whole thing. The hamstring, he's not gonna put the machines back. They're gonna slow the whole fucking thing down. They're gonna eliminate the 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 uh post office's ability to keep up with all mm-hmm. the stuff. And then the holidays are going to come around and people can't even see each other. So they're, know. they know that when you normally do a billion, you're going to see a billion three yeah. between packages and letters. It's going to go up because of COVID, because of separation, because of the inability to travel, you, you know, because airline tickets are going to be three times as high because they've cut the supply because airlines are canceling entire lanes of flight because nobody was flying. Mm-hmm. So the price tag on an airline ticket has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. So they know you're not going to go. So you're going to send cards to grandma. You can't go see her because we don't have a cure totally yet. We don't know if that will work yet. And we know that's the window. So this dude is not only going to get the normal knockoff of Christmas cards and, and Hanukkah cards and Kwanzaa cards and Halloween and fucking Thanksgiving. (laughs) And how are you? He's going to get that plus another third of a billion. And it's all going to go to his company, and he makes money on that investment. And then everybody's going to bitch, and you know there'll be a big wailing and gnashing of teeth. He might have to go. He might even have to step down. But he'll do it after he has taken the stock profit yes. out of XPO Logistics. Yep. So he will make $90 million in five months by fucking up his government job. Unbelievable. Are Unbelievable. you kidding me? Of course and again, this has no, this doesn't even have to, it's it's a blessing that it's because of the election. Yeah, it's a blessing that he'll benefit his party. Yeah, but and he never would have gotten in that position if you know if there was a Democrat in office. Period. Right. So he yeah. knows it's a he's making hay while the sun shines. Yeah. But that that's all this is about. He's going to quadruple his investment or mm-hmm. triple his his investment at the very least in four fucking months. Yeah. Take two thirds out and still have his baseline thirty million dollars in the company after taking sixty to ninety million dollars in profit off of the the extra work that that company has done because it's not even stock options. It's like you know he it's a he's a direct investor, so he's a profit investor. He gets dividends. Yeah. You know, uh, as a profit investor, so like. For, that part of it is again if you look beyond like oh my god they're trying to help trump throw the election mm-hmm. you miss the you yeah. miss all the weak points and it ends up like that's why i like the firm it's why i like the untouchables there's that great line in the firm where he goes it's not sexy but it's got teeth mm-hmm. and um yeah. and in that you know which is not something i could say about my first girlfriend in kentucky but <laughs> the <laughs> She was quite the opposite, but um, the, <laughs> I'm kidding. The, um, but the point uh, I'm trying to make is that if you look at it from strictly the monetary part, you can remove your yes. emotional aspect of how people go, you just hate right. Trump. You just think the Republicans are going to lose. And like, no. Yeah. This ha- just drop it. I don't give a fuck. If, it was, if this was true next year, it would be a problem because yes. this dude is going to make $90 million right. by scamming the taxpayers yeah. and, and subverting this. And if he was doing this because he was a defense contractor and he was doing it by grounding planes yeah. by giving them faulty parts and our pilots started dying, mm-hmm. you'd flip the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And it's not that different. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, this is just yeah. like fucking crazy times. But um, yep. 
you know, hopefully I, I know, I know, but nobody, nobody gets to skip history. (laughs) The only reason people are exhausted and freaking out right now, besides the fact that life is difficult in its own way is that people live under the labor delusion that you get to skip life. Yeah. That life's supposed to skate. It's supposed to be easy. It isn't. You don't get, you're going, everyone's going to have to plan their parents' funeral at some point. Everyone is going to have to worry if they have children, if something bad's going to happen to them at camp. Like everyone's going to drive across town and be completely fine and get dinged in traffic at some Mm -hmm. point. And it could have killed them or, you know, like life continues to roll on and you, and you have to operate from that point of view. Otherwise you get overwhelmed because it's not supposed to that extra weight of it's not supposed to be like this is what wears people out. That's what, Yeah. Well, I mean, I have I have on my pinned tweet and I've talked about this on my podcast, too, that, you know, I used to live in communist Russia. So it's really weird for me to see. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. it's not communist Russia here, but Mm -hmm. the parallels. And, you know, I was 12 at the time. So I was, you know, a kid. I wasn't an adult and I didn't I I, I did understand what was going on. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I was immature. So I didn't you know, and I wasn't all political. So, but now I can look right. back on it and I can think, geez, man, the, the parallels are insane. And the, the, the propaganda, I see so many people kind of dismissing the blatant propaganda for, oh, she's right. so stupid. It's like, no, they're not stupid. They know exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing. This is on right. purpose. And it drives yeah. me fucking nuts because I used to see the, you know, the be proud to be a worker kind of bullshit propaganda over there. And, you know, on every oh, building. Yeah, China still has it. Yes. I mean, and China has to clear every movie that plays in every theater to make sure that the message doesn't uh, go against the social order. Right. And if it does, th- it bad. doesn't yeah. get to play. Yeah. It just you're not going to see it. And and and, you know, having spent a lot of time over there, and I'm sure this is something you know about Russia as well, is that. This comes out of a profound lack of faith in their own society yes. and in their own people. Yeah. And that their, their opinion is, is that people left to their own devices are fucking awful. Mm-hmm. And if you if you give them an inch, mm-hmm. they're going to end up, you know, burning this place to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I I'm not surprised. And when you have in the case of you know, China, one point two billion mm-hmm. people. That panic is real. Yeah. Like the people, the people in the Chinese uh, government, the Communist Party, are scared to death all the fucking hmm. time. I, 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 here's this is this is one of the things that. So I was over there shooting a travel show, mm-hmm. and you know I went over there largely because they needed somebody funny who spoke Chinese, and there's only one of us. And you speak and, fluent Mandarin, right? Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's awesome. And, yeah, it's good. And I, it's because I started teaching Kung Fu and my my instructors from Beijing and I wanted to learn how to be respectful for him when I was wow. studying Kung Fu. And so um, but I was over there and they apparently have a problem, which we never hear about over here because the news never leaves the country mm-hmm. that a occasionally a town in China and with some regularity every eight to 15 months mm-hmm. will fall under the spell of a, of a like guru mm-hmm. of sorts, you know, a spiritual leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, a kind of a, in, you know, in India it would be like these Paramahansa Yogananda dudes who, yeah. you know, get a giant following and they all wear, you know, a pink sash and that kind of stuff. So in China, this happens with some regularity. Um, and, but it'll be an entire town. Mm-hmm. The entire city will go this way because largely these people have been raised mm-hmm. to follow, follow the leader. Right. 
for fear of if they don't, they're going to get squealed on or killed or mm-hmm. something like that. So that extrapolates out to cultism really easily. It's mm. not hard to turn an yeah. entire group of those people into a cult if they'll buy that bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they start to follow this person. And then that person one day decides, you know what? The next town over is ours. We need to go take it. Mm-hmm. And so this town just starts walking down the road with sticks and knives oh my God. to go take the other town. And like I said, this happens about every other wow. year. And the towns I'm talking about, because there's a billion two people in China, mm-hmm. are a million people. Yeah. <laughs> um, imagine, if you will, the uh, uh, one-seventh of the population of Los Angeles suddenly picking and taking a butcher knife out of their, um, you know, their knife holder and the thing walking outside, all dressed the same down the street, just to move everyone out of Van Nuys (laughs) and take those houses and bags of soup. (laughs) Yes. And with bags of big bags of soup, soup for my family. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. I obviously I had no idea. Right. Well, you, they would never let you know because right. they certainly don't want to make people think that's a possibility over there. Yeah. They don't, you know, and so you understand on one instance where the, it's good to hear the news and good to know the news. But if the news is that yeah. and it happens every other year, holy shit, are mm-hmm. we a country of fucking crazy people? Mm-hmm. A million people. Yeah. Like the imagine like the Black Lives Matter protests, but they're all following Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. Or the Women's March. Yeah. Imagine all those women in the Women's March in mm-hmm. D.C. All, that huge sea of human beings with wow. knives and sticks. That's insane. Not because they believed a political turn of things, yeah. but just because he told us to come right. take your house. Yeah. Like, holy oh shit. Oh, my God. How do you, you know, and again, this happens with such regularity that the Chinese, you know, the, the CCP is is scared to fucking death. That's why when COVID happened, they were locking people in their apartments and snatching them off the fucking street. They were throwing them in boxes. The hospitals, quote unquote, that they built in 15 days were prisons. They are prisons. They are isolation rooms with a panel door for shoving food through. So the person will either live and you know ride out the symptoms or just die in the room, get fumigated and burned. You know, wow, this, it, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that I is know. some crazy shit. And, I, and this is from somebody who loves Chinese people. Right. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I love Chinese culture. I love the Chinese people. I've always, you know, always have. Yeah. The government, though, right. eek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking eek. But at the same time, uh, these are human beings. Mm-hmm. How how in the shit do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, what do you really? do? <laughs> what do you do? Oh what do you God. do? I, you know, and this is, you know, this has always been my question. Whenever anybody sees something going on, and it helps because it refines you and what your capabilities are, you're confronted with this situation. What do you do in this situation? I want to hear your solution, not just your gripe. Yeah. And the the the, right. the yes, question yes, I yes, always yes. yeah the question I always give, and this is why, um, this is why, for example, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hillary Clinton had a real shot. Elizabeth Warren did not, mm-hmm. and will not. Um, and and why. Uh, the why Dukakis didn't and why, you know, Bush was able to beat him mm-hmm. was you're this. I'm going to give you this uh, scenario. 
and don't there is no wiz, there's no wiggle room at all okay. you have to the the confines of the of the circumstance you find yourself in are the confines there's no what, what if this how okay. about maybe i could there's none of that okay you get you're the president someone walks in and says we are tracking a vehicle with a bomb in it is headed towards let's say damascus we have um two of our diplomats walking with the you know the members of parliament there they're in a marketplace if this bomb reaches the marketplace they're going to kill our people and a thousand other people as well mm-hmm. um we know where it is we can see it from the air we can send a drone to knock it out mm-hmm. but it's in traffic and it will destroy six other cars on either side of it there's just no way to mm-hmm. hit it and it's such a big load of explosives there's no way the people in those cars don't die. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do it, um, yeah, more people you're going to lose. Yeah. yeah, a thousand people. Right. You have 20 minutes to decide. That's it. So and, and you have. Yeah. Okay. So wait, I just want to be clear. So you said Elizabeth Warren would not be able to. The perception, the, no, the perception by the public. It's not about the reality. I okay, think Elizabeth okay. Warren would handle this decision just fine. Okay. But the perception of the public is Hillary Clinton would go saving a thousand people and the entire function, functional structure of Damascus is much more important than six random cars, obviously. So yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. But we have to do this. But the idea is that Elizabeth Warren would take 22 minutes to make the decision because she would weigh those the, the moral choice <laughs> oh, I <there>. see. Okay. <laughs> wow. By that time, Interesting. By that time, the truck is already downtown, and you know another mm-hmm. you know a thousand people are dead. Mm-hmm. So that's the you know, and the same thing with Dukakis. Mm-hmm. That's what, why he ha- that's why he fucking showed up in a tank yeah. to try and compliment you know to answer that question mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And Bush didn't have to because he worked for the fucking CIA. Yeah. So he would have made the, he would have, you know, he's yeah. like, I would have, we would have bombed those people before they even got in the truck. Like, you know, and, wow. and, and as much as, as much as you want to focus on domestic issues and as much as we want to believe that we can sort of be isolationist in dealing with our own problems here in the, in the country, the reality is that's going to come up mm-hmm. and whoever you put in there is going to make those kind of decisions. And or they're going to outsource those decisions Mm -hmm. to people who only make those kind Mm -hmm. of decisions. And those people are fucking awful Mm -hmm. because they only make those Those kind of decisions all the goddamn time. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So interesting. God, it's 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 very fun talking to you, Hal Sparks. And I'm really glad that you you, you were on my show. And thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you for saying yes. And I'm also, um, you know, I'm congratulations on your move. Uh, Oh, my God that we had to postpone, but that's okay. Cause, uh, I, it gave me some extra time. I had to do something, you know, you talked, you asked me if I might be able to do it later. And I had, yeah. I did, my mom had to stop by and, and I didn't have time. Otherwise I would have done it, but it gave oh, yeah. me extra time to read that book. So I read, I, I was reading that yes. book and it was so fun. Well, I'm, I'm very excited. And, and on your, um, on your recommendation, I will, uh, it is, it's been on my list, you know, because yeah. I know it was coming up, but I'll jump to it because I can, I can put the kind of the rest of the Mary Trump stuff on pause because it's not really telling me anything I don't. Exactly. And I feel like, you know what? I feel like I might even be able to get her on my show because she's doing everybody's show and she follows me. But I don't have anything to ask her that nobody everybody else has already covered it. And so it's like, well, I don't really know what to ask her. Um, So I'm not going to have her on. But I will say I view the Stephanie Winston book, Melania and me, as kind of like eating Cheetos. 
right? It's like, it's, sure. it's just, it's not going to give me, a, you know, it's not the big deal crap. I know. I mean, I'm interested in reading the book by Michael Schmidt too. And Michael mm-hmm. Cohen's book. I'd like to see what he's got to yeah. say. But, um, oh, but that's going to be a lot. That's, that's going to be a lot. Just, that's going to be good. That's going to need a secondary website no just shit. with details. <laughs> it's coming out on the 8th, I think. So I'm going to mm-hmm. read that. But this is like the full, it's like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or something. It's like, I, this to me, it's like my Cheeto, right. no nutrition, but it's giving me like that satisfaction, you know? Cause, and yeah. it did answer the question, and that's what I wanted to know. Who is Melania? Is she that hostage or is she a villain? And I did determine, okay, she is villain. So there's yeah, that. But anyway. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you 100%. I, I, I think she's stunningly full of shit. Yeah. I think he's stunningly full of shit. I think they're sort of built for each other. She's the third wife in. Yes. I would almost forgive her if she was the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I actually thought this asshole was a success. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, but she, she no. knew better and she, she got what yeah. she wanted. So, you know, she's, oh, yeah. she's good. But and, anyway, all right, well, I'm going <laughs> to, she will get what she wants. Yes. Uh, yep. I'm sure she's making those deals. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, so thank you for Excellent. being on the show before you go. Thanks for having me. Um, of course. Uh, and I do want to see that video. I want to see, are you going to make your puppet video public? Yes. Yes, good. I will. Okay. Yeah. I, I usually wait so that the, um, the sexy liberal show right. so everybody gets their first, Okay. Uh, dash at it, you know, um, and and then I post it after the fact, um, you Good. know, so that you know, the, so that the sex, you know, you right. pay these tickets. I exactly. want people to actually see their shit. I'm yeah. not gonna. No, that know, totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, that, I'm looking forward. If if you can remember, send it in case yeah. I miss it. Send it to my uh, DM because I totally oh, want to see it. Bob said it was genius and it was so funny, so I'm dying to see it. So anyway, um, oh hell yes. Tell everybody where they can find you. Um, HalSparks.com. I've had it since 1993 when everybody <laughs> thought I was nuts. And I was like, you don't understand. One day I'll be able to put my, my demo reel on an, on the computer, you know? And, um, and of course, uh, right now I'm, I'm in YouTube jail. So people can go to twitch.tv slash HalSparks and watch my stream awesome. okay. until I get out of YouTube jail. Okay. Uh, which interestingly enough started, uh, it, it's a 90 day suspension from streaming it ends four days after the election. Oh, wow. That's weird. That is a little weird. Hmm. Hmm. A little Curious. Questionable. That's a, mm-hmm. It's an interesting window of time, yeah. if I don't say so, my damn self. <laughs> um, and then, but uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash HalSparks, and people can subscribe there. And of course, I have a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash HalSparks, and all that fun stuff. Because that's, you know, can't, we can't tour. There's no production. Right. Um, you know, a, one of the crew guys just passed away in... Oh. Um, la because they shot a commercial at the beginning of bringing stuff back he got covid and passed away and like i don't know when production's going to come back yeah. so i'm i like a lot of people am just modifying my work to the current environment exactly Again, you don't get to skip life nope you just gotta you know find your way in it yeah. so here i am all right well say i'm gonna put your uh twitter handle and then your also your website in the patreon description of the show love it and all right perfect thanks for being on thanks take of care of course <laughs> Oh, that was fun. I love talking. He is funny. I love it when he said that he's an asshole. That's so, that, I mean, I guess he's not obviously an asshole, but in, in the way that he's just not going to take any shit, right? Um, that was a fun interview. I, I, you know what? I told him before we started that I wasn't, I said, do you have a time constraint? And he said, no. And I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll try to keep it at like an hour. 
And then I, and I said, you know, because the last couple of guests that I've had, we've gone over to almost two hours and here we are at like an hour and 45 minutes again. So, um, that's so sweet that he stayed that long, but I mean, I could keep talking to him all day and obviously he's a talker. I'm a talker. We could just talk, 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 talk. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm not going to spend too much time on the outro today, other than to say that my mother's book I think I might have announced this before, but just in case, because I posted it today, my mother's book, The Melt, which is a uh, book about a global pandemic that was caused by climate change. It's now available in paperback. So FYI. And as I always say, we authors and podcasters and anybody who does a social media thing where you can review, we love reviews. Reviews help us. It helps other people know if, if, if the product is any good or not. So if you like it, give it a good review. And again, you don't have to, and like, if you're going to get the melt and you like it, just give a good review. And all you have to do is say, I loved this book, or this was a great book, fun story, whatever. You don't have to go into like this whole thing of, I love this book because, you know, I always, when I go to Amazon and I look up whatever it is I'm interested in, I always read the reviews, always. And sometimes people write a lot because they're motivated to write a lot for a very, you know, variety of reasons. But other times people just say, I love this. It's all I need to know. Is it, is it good? Am I going to hate it? Whatever. Tell me. So um, reviews, please. And of course, you can find my books <laughs> on uh, Amazon. So I've got The Virgin Diaries and Peyton's Choice, which is about teen abortion and Ain't No Sunshine, Men Reveal the Pain of Heartbreak, as well as American Woman, The Pole Dance, Women in Voting. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Author Kimberly. And don't forget, I do love the comments. I love when you guys comment. I love it. It's like it makes me so happy every time I see I get an alert on Patreon. I'm so excited, like, ooh, ooh, new comment. So thank you for uh, all of your participation Please do more. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I hope you had fun. Let me know what you think of the show, and we will see you next week. I've got Brooklyn Dad Defiant on Monday. Okay, see you next week. Bye-bye.